right. Now, can we go a little deep this morning? As fast as we can, as healthily as we can. I want to speak to you about the tabernacle of David. We're talking about in a series on building blocks for partnership with God. David had certain building blocks that we see or certain things that David developed in his life that we don't see really uh, before, the, before his time being developed in such a way by a leader. And, and so we spoke about inquiring of the Lord last week or prayer. This week I want to speak about worship. And it's the tabernacle of David. So if you could go to Acts chapter 15. We're going to just quickly read that there. I'm going to tell you a little story. Sorry, this thing in my pocket is really bugging me. Sorry to be distracting. Um, in Acts chapter 15, we're going to start there. But David established something on the earth never before seen. And uh, it's, a profound, it's a profound thing that he did. So what happens in Acts 15 is they, they come together. Uh, there was a sect of the Pharisees that had come to know the Lord, but they were trying to make people still obey the Old Testament law and be circumcised and, and kind of go through what a Jewish person would have to go through. And so they come together to talk about it, and Peter rises up and says, Listen, God gave the Holy, the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles that was there at the house of Cornelius, and the Holy Spirit fell upon them as he fell upon us. So, you know, I don't think the Lord thinks the same as you do, in a sense. And then uh, Paul and Barnabas stand up and tell of all the miracles and signs and wonders that he had done amongst them, among the Gentiles, kind of saying the same thing as Peter. But then James, who's actually the one in the seat of authority, he was the leader there, he doesn't kind of give his experience. He stands up and quotes Amos, and he says this. He says, after this I will return. He says, this is what Amos 9.11 says. He says, after this I will return and rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins. I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. In Amos 9, it puts it this way. In that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen. Close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up its ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old. So what is the tabernacle of David? Everybody knows, if you've been in church, we've all heard of the tabernacle of Moses. But what is the tabernacle of David? Well, let's start with what it seems to accomplish. It says to close up the breaches. It's all the rise and fall of Israel, of God's people. You know, they would rise and then fall away, rise and fall away, and those became breaches. And it seems that David, what David established, Amos says, pointing forward, says one day there will come something, and this tabernacle of David, which we're going to explain today, is responsible in a sense. What it does is it's, it, it breaks off all the things that divide, all the things that separate God's people from Him, all the cultural maladies and the things that come at us from the enemy, from the culture. It takes all of that away and it closes this up, down, up, down. It has that ability to set a person on a course or a culture or a people on a course with the Lord without these great big breaches. Wouldn't that be nice? And it sets people free. And then it has an evangelistic component. It says, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. So it establishes something that closes up the gaps, that stops that us people, God's people being divided from Him over and over and over. It closes up the gaps. It brings an intimacy and it, has, it creates something which, when people see it, brings them to the Lord. And it has something to do with His presence. They used to have to go to the temple where the presence of God was to seek the Lord. And so it creates something where all people can come into the presence of God to seek the Lord. So, let's go back. We're going to look at how this happened, what it is, and what it, what it means. And I'm not sure, we're probably going to take quite a few weeks to look at this. This is something in my heart, in my life, personally. I may go down a few rabbit holes. If you see me going down a rabbit hole, just 
told me to shoot that rabbit and we'll, we'll come back. But this thing of the tabernacle of David, the Lord started to really speak to me probably uh, 15 years ago. And, and it really it, it shook my world a little bit. And I didn't know why I hadn't heard a lot of teaching on it. Now I have, and I got hold of some great musicologists, actually musicologists, and some great teachers of old, and started to listen to some of their teachings and read some commentaries on, on this very subject. And it is something that we've tried to establish here at Free Life Church. So let's go back and see. In, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Chronicles. The most musical book in the Bible is Psalms. Second to Psalms, the most musical book in the Bible, Chronicles. One Chronicles. More one and, than two, but one and two Chronicles are the top musical books in the Bible other than Psalms. So a little bit of history. David, um, David becomes king. He desires to bring the ark of God, the presence of God, back into Israel. Smart. Good desire. So he desires to do this. The Philistines had captured it. A little bit of history. They didn't want it because they, it was knocking over all their gods and destroying them because they didn't worship the Lord. And so it was like overcoming their false gods. So they gave it. They said, we don't want it. So they got it out of their land. And it landed at this guy's house called uh, um, Abinadab. And Abinadab, he was being wonderfully blessed and it was there for quite a while. And then David said, hey, let's go get the ark and bring it back and establish it in Israel. First thing he wanted to do when he became king, we must have the presence of the Lord in God's house. So he goes and does that and he does it with a good heart. He does it with the right intention. And it says here in 2 Samuel that all, with all kinds of instruments, of fir, of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums and cymbals. And he does this with all this music, and we'll see why. And then we know what happened. Uzzah reached out, touched the ark. He struck dead. David's like, whoa, whoa. We're trying to do the right thing here. And actually says he got a little bit upset with the Lord. But then he did something. It says, and David inquired of the Lord. Ha. First building block. He established that the last couple of weeks. David had learned to inquire of the Lord. Thank goodness. So he took that building block that he had learned how to inquire of the Lord, and now he needed to use it. So it says David inquired of the Lord. He saw that he had the right heart, but he wasn't doing it God's way. And he learned that there's, a, there's often a way of God. My dad said this last night. And let me just say, if you weren't here last night, the worship and the glory of God in this place last night is hard to explain. I really mean that. It was... Truly, just a wonderful time in the presence of the Lord. We're so grateful to Him for it. But David learns that there's a, not a I don't want to say a prescription because then people get boxed, but there are ways of God. And David is learning that. And so he learns and he inquires of the Lord, and he learned how to carry, in a sense, the presence of God. He learned there's a prescribed way to actually carry the presence of God. Back then it was the ark. And it's a great lesson in faith because he does it with extreme joy. With extreme joy. And he's so excited about it that he dances for between 9 and 13 miles between the two places. We're not exactly sure. Say 10 miles. He dances with joy until he's like in his unholy pajamas. Some people think he was naked. He wasn't naked. He had a linen ephod on. But, you know, he's jumping up and down. And his wife didn't like that at all. So he gets all excited, and it's a lesson for us all of faith. He gets so excited before anything's happened. He receives the presence of the Lord in a sense. He gets so excited because he knows something. He knows that to bring the ark of God in, to bring the presence of God back to God's house, is everything. It's everything. And it is what every generation of God's people desires. Every generation, whether they know it or not. To see the presence of God come back into His house in the way He originally intended. And this was David's desire. It was his deep desire. And he knows that when this comes back to God's people, it changes everything. 
everything. The security of the nation, the wealth of the nation, the future of the nation, the power of the nation. changes everything to have God's presence with his people. And his wife looks down and sees him dancing with extreme joy, doesn't think that he should be doing that as a king, and it says she despised him in his heart, you know. Way too much excitement. And it just shows us something, that a person offended, it's not easy for them to worship. So David does this, and he comes, and I'm, I'm telling you what I'm going to tell you before I tell you. Yeah? They say that's a good thing to do. So David comes, and he sets up the ark of God, and he puts it in a new tent called David's tent, or David's tabernacle. And he puts it there with no veil, like in the tabernacle of Moses. And David institutes a new system of worship that is continual for 33 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron, and now for 33 years he reigned over all Israel. And even, I can say, growing up in the church, I didn't hear a lot of this. And for some reason, I just believe it's very important for this nation even right now. So David sets up the ark of God in a tent that he erected for it with no veil with no separation, and he institutes something that had never before been done on the earth. 33 years of 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365, of continual worship. Constant worship. Never stopped. Old rabbinical literature says every hour on the hour they would bring in musicians. In that time, you see all seven expressions, all seven Hebrew words for praise come out. You see some of them mentioned before in Scripture, but never in a musical context. Never in a praise-giving context. Not once. Except maybe with Moses. One time. So he brings something forth into the earth that had never before been seen. And he starts to appoint various ranks of musicians. Why? Why? Well, it was the one time on the earth, those 33 years, one of the only times on the earth that there was an aspect on the earth that looked pretty much like what it looked like in heaven. Why? Well, we all know Moses received explicit direct instructions, you know, this cubit by this cubit, on how to build the tabernacle of Moses. Yeah? We know that. David, it says in 1 Chronicles 28, and I'm going to have to just give you the references, but please go look them up. Don't just believe me. Actually go look them up so it's established in your heart. 1 Chronicles 28, David had received plans for the temple that Solomon built because it was in David's heart to build, him a, to build a house for the Lord. And the Lord said to him, it's not for you to do it, it's for your son. But he gave the plans to David. And it says he, received the, he gave Solomon the plans with, which he received by the Spirit of God. So when God literally doesn't tell us of that encounter, encountered David and gave him very specific plans on how to build the temple, David saw something in heaven that wasn't on the earth. And it had to do with worship. Because up until that time, all worship was sacrificial. When it says Cain, first uh, Cain and Abel, the first reference of worship, Abel worshipped was a sacrifice. Noah, worship, sacrifice. The tabernacle of Moses, sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifices. All sacrifice, sacrificial, sacrificial. David has a glimpse into heaven. We see a picture of it actually in Revelation 4 and 5. Revelation chapter 4 and 5, you see, and some of the prophets even show you the similar thing in the, in the books of the prophets. You see this glimpse into heaven and you see that worship in heaven is three things. It's constant, continual, it's musical, and it's Christ-centered or God-focused. It's focused on God, and it never stops, and it's musical. And people say, well, you know, worship is more than just singing songs. Yeah, I get that. Your life is a worship. But you know that they've taken DNA, they take person's DNA, and they decoded the DNA of a person and found out that it is musical? 
They can actually take your DNA. Then they did this in the California Institute of Music. I think it was about 20 years ago when they discovered this. And they did it and they found that every person has a song. Your life, your DNA is a song. And they played that song to some people. Some of them got healed. Physically, of ailments. Every one of them cried. To hear your song. And the Bible is, says that at the end of time, that all nations, tribes, and tongues will worship the Lord. You know, all the stupid stuff about racism going on, I just, it's, it's just dumb. God doesn't see it like that. He loves, we're all the same. Yet, in certain races, there is something in the DNA that they will, there's something like a component that will be similar in that race. Every one of them will have that similar thing and similar in that race and similar in that race. So at the end of time, friends, when we all worship God together, it is the only time that the full sound spectrum on the earth will give praise to God. So, so for 33 years, they would bring in these worship people. And your life is a song. It really is. Your song is yours. And only you can give it expression. And in the seven Hebrew words for praise that we'll probably go over next week, you know what's interesting? Every one of them has a physical expression. Every one of them. Who longs for the glory of God? Everyone. Now, let me, let me say this, and I, I, I'm not trying to give you a formula. Please don't see it that way. But what Scripture shows me when I've studied this over and over, every time it brings me to tears, is that the instrument for the glory of God, like how do you get to the glory of God, is worship. How do you get to worship? The instrument, in a sense, of worship. How do you get to worship, to actually into worship in spirit and in truth? Is praise. And the instrument of praise is physical and musical expression from an open heart. Praise will take you to worship. Worship will take you to glory. All through the Bible. So, and we won't go there now. In 1 Chronicles 23, David started this process, and, he did, and there were 38,000 Levites that like fit the, the, what was needed. There had to be 30 to 50 years of age. There had to be a Levite, and there was a bunch of things that they had to do. And it separated them like this. David separated them. 24,000 for the work in the house of the Lord. That was the tabernacle of Moses, which by the way still existed, was on Mount Gibeon between eight and nine miles away. There's a tabernacle of Moses. They're going through all the sacrifices. They're doing all the stuff, but no ark. Think about that. Only time on the earth there were two tabernacles at the same time. The tabernacle of Moses is over there, and David's tent is here. Tabernacle of worship, tabernacle of David, where the ark is. And they set them, and they put 24,000 to go help priest Zadok over at the tabernacle of Moses. They sent 6,000 as officers and judges that lived all through the land to help with the needs and, you know, the like, courts of the people. They had 4,000 as musicians and 4,000 as gatekeepers. You know how they decided who would do what? They cast lots. People are like, okay, well, you seem to be making a point, but I don't know what the point is. The point is, that means they were all musical. They cast lots for who would be the musicians. Out of the 38,000, they just cast lots. Who's going to be? They were all musical as Levites. They were all a musical people. 
and yet their music had never found an expression of worship. And David sees something in heaven, and he says, it is my desire to build you a house, a temple. And he says, but what I see is not what we have. We have a component that has to do with sin, sacrifice and blood. But what we don't have is intimacy, which has to do with worship. And I want to build him a house. So he gives an entire generation to prepare God's people so that when the temple is built, those two systems come together. And so he instituted something, the tabernacle of David, for 33 years. This church has had many prophetic words right from the beginning even to recently that we are called to be a house of worship. Now, I know everyone, every church, in a sense, is called to be a house of worship. But it's talking about praises and worship and music. The amount of words that says, you will be found to be people with the high praises of God in your mouth. And it's actually partly why I started to study this, because we have to partner with what the Lord says. I knew it was the Lord. My parents and I, we've partnered with it for many years. How do we build a culture of worship, biblical worship? So, who knows we are created to worship? Yeah? So what is biblical worship? What does it look like? Let's look. John 4 says, The hour is now coming. Jesus comes. He makes this declaration. And now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. It's one of the only things in the New Testament that the Bible says the Father actually seeks. Think about that. God is looking for it. He's looking for it. He's not looking to catch you up, to trap you. His eyes are looking for a worshiper. And one who it says, for those who worship must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So we are invited by God, in a sense to give an expression to praise and worship musically the way that he has seen fit in the Bible, which actually becomes known as the Tabernacle of David or the Davidic order of worship. And in history, the church took so long to catch up. You know, the first book printed in this nation, which is why I think it's so important to this nation, the first book printed, 1600s, 1600s, the Bay Book of Psalms, the Book of Psalms, the first book called the Bay Book of Psalms by the missionary John, and people are going to say it's Jim Elliot, no, John Elliot, there was a Jim Elliot, a missionary to the Algonquian Indians, and there was a John Elliot, a missionary to the Algonquian Indians, it confused me too, but first book, this missionary prince up in Massachusetts, the Book of Psalms, music, because they'd come to find an expression. They were kicked out of England. They were kicked out of the church. They weren't allowed to have free expression of worship. They were given eight melodies. None of this is in the notes. So the gentleman at the back is like, oh, I don't see it. It's not there. They were given eight melodies for many, many years. Eight melodies which the church, global, would allow. So they would take the book of Psalms and they were like, no, 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 my father. And the church would, you know, repeat it. Da, 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 my father, uh, we, we do extol thee. We do extol for an hour. And that was worship. And John Wesley comes along. He wrote over 5,000 hymns for which they came to arrest him because he deviated from the eight melodies. It's unbelievable. And the church says, no, no, no music. Too much joy. No music in the church. No celebration. And yet it began with the Jewish people, a musical people with joy and celebration and festivities. And God is trying to be restore that all these years. That's why every revival, every move of God, what you remember is the songs, not the sermons. The songs. Amazing grace. We know that song. I don't know what sermon they were preaching. But I know the song. And do you know that artists, if you study history, it is artists who shape history. Songwriters, poetry, 
musicians, art, artists, lawgivers don't. They react to the negative elements in history. They try to create boundaries. It's helpful. They need to. They don't shape it. Artists do. Creators. That's why people aren't allowed to put their elbows on the table. You know where that actually comes from? From the Last Supper painting, which isn't even accurate. The only one who has his elbows on the table, Judas. So it became a part of culture. It's bad. Serious. Artists shaping belief systems and cultures that have now to do with etiquette because of a painting. We are invited by God. There is so much freedom in expression in worship. And in the first world context, Loudoun County, oh, you have to help people. Africa, you don't. Not as much. The problem is we go there and you're like, we need to worship like this. We try to make them worship like first. No, no, they must worship like them. They have a tone and a dialect and a sound and an expression that will be different to us. But if it's, if it's musical, if it's God-centered, beautiful. Biblical worship. So, the tabernacle of Moses, David, I mean, he gets blueprints in a sense. Tabernacle of David, he receives blueprints, but he needs, he sees there's something missing. So now, we're going to read a whole lot of scripture. I know you guys are so excited. So go to 1 Chronicles 15, please. One of the most musical books in the Bible. And it says here in verse 1, David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said, no one may carry the ark of God but the Levites. He figured that out. Okay? But the Levites. For the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of God and to minister before him forever. And David gathered all Israel together at Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to its place which he had prepared for it. How many know you prepare for the presence of the Lord before it gets there? It's called faith. God says something, we start making decisions as if it's here, and that prepares for it. Verse 14, so the priests and Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. And the children of the Levites bore the ark of God on their shoulders by its poles, as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. Then David spoke to the leaders of the Levites to appoint, can you say appoint? Appoint their brethren to be singers, never before seen, accompanied by instruments of music, stringed instruments, harps, cymbals, by raising the voice with resounding joy. So we see something starting to develop here. Then go to verse 17, which is the next verse. So the Levites appointed He-Man, not Master of the Universe, no, that's Jesus. The original He-Man here was a chief musician, the son of Joel and of his brethren, Asaph, we all know that, you know, we all see it in the Psalms, that's more well known. Asaph, the son of that guy, and of their brethren, the sons of Merari, these are great children's names, all the rest of these, very good, you should, you should do that. Um, and Ethan, which is actually Jeduthun. It's used interchangeably, but it starts with Ethan. The son of Kushiah, and with them their brethren of the second rank. Oh, so it's like military. And people in today's world so easily offended, they're like, I don't like that there's ranks. There's ranks. Chief musicians. And of second rank, under them, those names. Zachariah, Ben, and then a whole bunch of others. And it ends, says these are the gatekeepers. Verse 19. The singers, Heman, Asaph, and Ethan, or Jeduthun, were to sound the symbols of bronze. Zechariah, Aaron, those Shemir, Merath, Jehiel, Uni, Eliab, Messiah, and Benaniah, with strings according to Alamoth. Like, what's that? Alamoth? Soprano singers. And those other guys, and Isaiah, to direct with harps on Shimoneth. What's Shimoneth? An octave. Eight octave. An eight-stringed instrument. And then go down to verse 22. Kenaniah, leader of the Levites, was instructor in charge of the music. Why? Because he was skillful. 
But the King James says it this way. And Kenaniah, chief of the Levites, was for song. He instructed about the song because he was skillful. You know what that word song means? It's not the word for song. It's masah. It means a prophetic burden. Kenaniah, the chief of the Levites, was instructing them about how to, through music and song, to release the prophetic song of the Lord in a good, godly way that actually brings about what it's talking about or points it to. It must, there's waves of it. There's up and down. There's, and Kenaniah was in history, I think, and even some other commentators, probably him and David were probably the best musicians that have ever lived. It says in Amos that David invented instruments. Why? Because he saw them. He saw them. He invented instruments. Never before seen on the earth. Musicianship. Absolute. Amazing musicianship. And so we see something develop. David the king. Underneath him, Kenaniah, the master of song. Underneath him, three chief musicians, which you'll see, they come up again. You're going to get to know these guys over the next couple of weeks. The three chief musicians, Asaph, Heman, and Judutham. And underneath them, second rank, the gatekeepers, 4,000 gatekeepers. David puts in full-time employment just under 10,000 people. You want to talk about a value for God's presence? A value for worship? Just under 10,000 people, he's just become king. And he said, this is what we need to do for this entire generation for 33 years, which, by the way, is the same length as Jesus' life. Then, go to verse 25. He says, so David, the elders of Israel, and the captains over thousands, went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom, where it was, with joy. And so it was when God helped the Levites who brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord and they offered seven bulls and seven rams. And David was clothed with a robe of fine linen as were all the Levites who bore the ark, the singers and Kenaniah, the music master. I like that scripture. With the singers. David also wore a linen ephod. Yeah, we have again him operating as a priest even though he's a king. Just like last week with prayer. Thus all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouting, with the sound of the horn, with trumpets and with cymbals, making music and stringed instruments and harp. So David puts on a priestly robe. Again, he's learned that from inquiring of the Lord. And he does something that in a sense a priest would do. And he's actually revealing something far more deep, which we can't get into now. But Hebrews 7 tells of another priestly line than Aaron's. It's the priestly line of the king Melchizedek representing Christ, a king and a priest. And he does that. He does, in a sense, he's representing the lion of Melchizedek. And it says that what? Jesus is the lion of the tribe of? Judah. What does Judah mean? Praise. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of praise. And so David sees something in heaven. He must see it established on the earth because he wants to build God a house on the earth. And he sees all this display of continual musical worship. And you see, because, the tab and because of this, the tabernacle of David, God made a covenant with David that the Messiah will come from you. And all the kings after David came from him, his line. There were some separations when they split. But all the way to Jesus, they came from David. Because God made a covenant with David that when Jesus comes back, He will come and sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem. That's why Jesus is called the Son of David. David won a place in God's heart. Think about this. He won a place in God's heart that God the Father said, I will call my son your son. Because of a little shepherd boy when no one was looking, worshipped the Lord. When no one looked, he just loved God. 
but he just loved God. And he began to play to such a degree that when evil spirits came to Saul, they said, there's a shepherd boy. If he just plays for you, the spirits will leave. And David learned something about the authority of music. People say, well, where do we see music in Genesis? Let there be light. You know that sound and light are on one spectrum called radio frequency, radio waves, all of that. It's all one spectrum. Just sound is like over here, light is over here. The first thing God put in the earth, music. And for so long, the church has been like, you know, we don't, we don't do that. My goodness gracious me. When I see in Scripture a 4,000-piece orchestra, 4,000, they all play together when they, with the temple under Solomon the first day, inauguration. 4,000. So David takes back Jerusalem. He brings the ark. He sets it in a tent and commissions worship for 33 years. Then, what happens next? Well, we see the cross, 1 Corinthians 16. So they brought the ark of God, verse 1. They set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then they burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. And when David had finished the offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he distributed to every one of Israel, has this, both man and woman, not something you see in the Old Testament. Something you see in the New Testament. It was always men, according to their culture. Here in the New Testament, both man and woman. I mean, here in the Old Testament. He's pointing at something, because in the New Testament it says, All shall prophesy, men and woman, old and young. But so what we see here, it says, To everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. What's interesting is this. At the tabernacle of Moses, eight, nine miles away, still sacrificed day after day, the issue of sin. Here at the tabernacle of David, there was a one-time sacrifice, a once-for-all sacrifice. As Hebrews talks about, that that's what Jesus came to do. He sacrificed once and never again. There was a once-for-all, a one-time sacrifice, just like with Jesus. And, he, and for those 33 years, there was not a single other sacrifice in the tabernacle of David. Yet, the presence of God was there, and the people would come and worship with no veil, unhindered access in the presence of God. In the Old Testament. All pointing at something. There's something coming. With no veil. The priest at the tabernacle of Moses, you know what his name was? Zadok, which means righteousness, which makes sense because it has to do with sin. It comes from Melchizedek, that Zadok, priest Zadok. Oh, you must be over there because you have to deal with atonement for sin, righteousness. Oh, priest over here, Abiathar. There was a priest over the house of the tabernacle of David, Abiathar. You know what he, his name means? My father helps, and my father is great. It's the father's heart. It's a family issue. It's a worship issue. It's an intimacy issue. Then 1 Corinthians, sorry, Chronicles 16, 4 says this. And he, you guys still with me? Isn't this amazing and interesting? says, and he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord. How's this? To commemorate. That means to record. To thank. And to praise. Imagine that. You've heard me say that before. You're standing there, you know, you're at the water cooler or whatever. You're at a party and be like, what do you do? I thank. I'm a thanker. I'm a lawyer, doctor. I'm a thanker. That's what I do all day. I'm pretty good at it. I'm a thanker. And a praiser. That's their, job. That's their job. And it says, and it says the Lord God of Israel, Asaph the chief, and next to him Zechariah, and then all those names, and then it says with stringed instruments and harps. But Asaph made music with cymbals, and the priests regularly blew trumpets before the covenant, before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. So what did David do? He appoints singers and musicians. We know, 4,000. 
which they cast lots for, and that word appointed means caused to stand. They were actually, hello, assigned an office. It was a divine office. Musician. And you know that the office of the musician in the New Testament touches every one of the fivefold? The original evangels, you know the word evangel, which is where we get the word evangelize, the people that would come running over the mountains, the feet of those who bring good news, they were musicians who would run and sing and the song would carry news. The first evangelists, musicians. They were all schooled in the prophetic, which I'll explain soon at some point. How many have ever been pastored to, ministered to by a song? Because music is a great equalizer. You can go anywhere. You can go into, it's like exercise or sport. There are certain things God has put on the earth, which doesn't matter how wealthy, your status, your class, how low, but a song plays and everyone's heart is touched the same. At a sports stadium, no one cares what you do. It's just, everyone's the same. And so he put this office, this cause to stand. And let me tell you, these musicians here, some people have no idea the spiritual attack, the pressure, because the devil will do everything he can to stop worship. Why? The Bible describes Lucifer before the fall, and it's talking about the king of Tyre and Sidon, but if you study, it's actually talking about the enemy in Ezekiel 38 and Isaiah 14. It talks about him being made up of instruments. It says, in him was timbrels and pipes and harps, and, and he was the cherub that covered the most, the, the most high. He was the cherub, the first mention of a type of angel, the cherub. Even in Genesis, he was the cherub that covered the Most High, the anointed seat, right next to the Lord in a sense. And when he fell, it's like, it's like that spot was now open. So God said, I will create a people on the earth. I will make people in my own likeness and in my own image as family. And they will rise up to worship. That's why the devil hates you. Worship. You must know what these guys go through sometimes. I've seen it. My wife, I've seen it. To usher people into the glory of the Lord. And it says he appointed them to record. This is a fascinating thing. I've just seen the time. We're going to have to close. To record. You know that these were people. It wasn't like, you know, recorder. Who remembers? This generation maybe doesn't, but, you know, you push the play and the record button together. It wasn't like that, you know. Record. David made a vow, Psalm 119. Seven times a day I will sing a praise song. Seven times a day will I praise thee. They had recorders that would follow the three chief musicians, Kenaniah and David, like a person with them all times, all, the, all day, every day. And a person would go. So when David began to burst out in a prophetic song, in a new song by the breath of the Spirit, which we'll explain, it's one of the types of praise in the, in the Bible, he would start to do that. A recorder would take it down. And David, in a sense, would lean over to him and say something like, run this down to Kenaniah. And he would say to the chief musician on Nehaloth, like in Psalm 5. People are like, what are you talking about? Well, it's still in the New King James and in the King James they took it out. Verse 1 of many Psalms was a description. And they've taken it out of the Bible. And he would say to the chief musician on Neheloth, and this guy or this person, the recorder, would run it down. Oh, okay, give it to Kenaniah. David says to the chief musician on Neheloth. What is Neheloth? It means pierced. It means a wind instrument with holes in a sense. It's a flute. So he would write down what David sang out and he would give it to Kenaniah and Kenaniah would take that song and structure it and put in, who reads Psalms and you say, you see the word Selah. Some Selah, Selah, we'll get over that. Selah. 
right? And a little more, and then Sila. Who sees this in the Bible? There are five types of Silas. Kenaniah, they, they brought this, in a sense, from the Spirit into the earth. And Kenaniah would take the song and record it. Okay, this is going to be on the flute to the chief musician, meaning take it to that sect of people that are over wind instruments and flutes and instruments with piercings and holes, because they had 4,000. They would take it, they would give it to them, and he would set the sealers in the right place. <coughs> Sorry. Set the sealers in the right place. And sealer doesn't just mean pause and reflect, like people have heard. It doesn't mean that. It actually means tension. You know, in musical tension, when you have us playing a song, you're like, ah, and you're like, ah, and then the breakthrough. You know what I'm saying? I'm not a musician, but you understand? There's like a tension, and then a musical, like a musical breakthrough. And a sila, Kenaniah, the master of music, would put a sila in the right place so the people, as they sang a song that was given by the Spirit to one of these people, they would institute it now in the tabernacle of David, and the people would go there and start to sing it. And at the right time, they would have this thing, this tension to bring breakthrough into the spiritual atmosphere. This is what they did in the Bible. And you know, for those 33 years, there was not one significant, there was, they were tiny. There was pretty much no invasion of Israel. No intercultures coming in with pagan gods. Not a one. For the first time in their history. Not one. For 33 years. Why? Because there was this constant sound of musical, God-centered worship in the spirit realm. It changes the atmosphere so that the principalities and powers don't have access. That's why I'm preaching about this now, with what's going on in this nation. This issue right here. People say, oh, I don't uh, worship. I, I like just I like the Bible. The Word. Well, it's in the Bible. So, we'll close with this. We'll probably go over this again. You go read Psalm 1, 2, 3, 4, all the way up to Psalm 9, and then you go read Psalm 1 in the King James. Talks about Neheloth, wind instrument, Neganoth, stringed instrument, Sheminef, instrument of octave scale, Shigion, Shigionoth. Oh, some ladies won't, mothers, should I say, won't like this. Sorry, it's Mother's Day, I know. It means a frenzied, impassionate, sometimes doubtful song. It's like an old version of a rock song. Frenzied passion, distortion. Oh boy. Gitteth, eight-stringed harp. Mithlaban, death of a son, like a, like a dirge. Like in Louisiana? I mean, uh, New Orleans? Like a dirge at a funeral? There were songs called death knells. Music. God has given a way to, worship, to praise Him, which leads to worship. There are seven words in Hebrew for praise. There's only one for worship. Shaka means face down, prostrate on the floor. Boom. Worship. From non-divine to a divine God. But you get there by praise. So, we're going to have to end there. Actually, can I read you one more verse? This is actually wonderful. 2 Chronicles 5. We see these systems that are developed on the earth and these three chief musicians and they institute this. 2 Chronicles 5 and we'll close with this. Verse 11 and it, now this is the building of the temple under Solomon. And what happens? The two systems. The tabernacle of David, I mean Moses and the tabernacle of David. Those two systems for the first time ever come together. And what happened? Well, and it came to pass when the priests came out of the most holy place, because now they've built the temple, 
for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves and without keeping to their divisions. And the Levites who were the singers, all, say all, all, that's 4,000, 4,000 peace orchestra. All those of Asaph and Heman and Jeduthun, worth their sons and their brethren, all of them, they stood at the east of the altar clothed in white linen. Think of Revelations. Having cymbals and stringed instruments and harps, and with them 120 priests sounding trumpets. Pause. How many people, New Testament saints, which New Testament saints are a priest, right? How many people were there in the day of Acts chapter 2 when there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind? 120. Look at this. With them, 120 priests blowing, sounding a trumpet. Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one, were together. Again, the book of Acts, they were in one accord. They were in one mind to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. When they lifted up their voice with the trumpets, Sorry, and the cymbals and instruments of music and praise the Lord saying, for he is good, his mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house. Because it's a sacrifice of praise. We're going to have to end it there. We're going to look at this for a few weeks. Some of you have heard this before. If you haven't and you're part of this house that you've just recently come in the last year or two, this is why we worship like we do. Because it's here. Amen? Bless you. We'll get into it next week. Why don't you stand? How sad is it? And, and I understand. I'm not mocking Please, please hear my heart here. Not, anyway, I, don't, I, I can't justify this. How sad is it to say, oh, we have 15, 15 minutes. Oh, stop, stop singing. We have a schedule. I get it. People got to go somewhere. We're late 15 minutes. I understand that. But most expressions of praise, two songs, maybe three, depends how fast the first one goes, and cut, and then... And then the cry is, God, where's your power? Where's your glory? Well, you cut it off in the beginning of the service. Father, we bless you. We thank you. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, teach us. Instruct our hearts in this time. Let us see the tabernacle of David. It is in the last days, as your word says, what you are building and restoring now. For that we thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.